0: community members, whoever you are, wherever you are, this is Chance Gilliam welcoming you to another episode of Chance by Chance and wishing you a happy winter. Because at the time of this recording, we've just had our first snow in Minnesota. Better bundle up and enjoy it, because there's no bad weather, only poor preparation Chance by Chance is a podcast serving young creators as they navigate the professional field by initiating timely and sometimes challenging conversations with established artists, scientists, innovators, and educators. I'm opening a door for more honest and productive discourse while investigating lessons, habits, beliefs, you name it, from these influential figures and equipping you with those same tools and resources to succeed. Be sure to find and subscribe to Chance by Chance on iTunes. Share it with a friend or co-worker. And if you'd like to offer still further support, visit patreon.com forward slash chance by chance. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash chance by chance to leave a one-time or better yet recurring donation. You can safely and securely give 50 cents per episode, per episode, you could share $10,000 per episode. I'm not picky. Every bit of it helps me dedicate more of my time to expanding the scope of this endeavor. During the month of November, 20% of my total proceeds will be given to the Iodine Global Network, an organization providing that crucial micronutrient to people in the developing world. Iodine deficiency is the leading preventable cause of intellectual and developmental disabilities worldwide. Alright, time to get down to it. I've been bouncing around in excited anticipation lately because this episode is a fun one and I'm pleased to be bringing it to you. Isabel Nelson is a co-founder and artistic director of Transatlantic Love Affair, a celebrated physical theater ensemble specializing in collaboratively created original work and theatrical storytelling. Their first show, Ballad of the Pale Fisherman, which Isabel conceived and directed, premiered at the 2010 Minnesota Fringe Festival. A second, expanded version of the play appeared at the Illusion Theatre in 2012 and earned Isabel two Ivy Awards, one being the Award for Emotional Impact and the second, the Emerging Artist Ivy. Since then, she's directed Red Resurrected and last year's Emily Eurydice and performed and collaborated on Ashland, These Old Shoes, and Solitaire. Other directing credits include work with Black Dirt Theatre, McAllister College, and Theatre Unbound. She's performed with the Children's Theatre Company, Live Action Set, John Ferguson Theatre, and Four Humors, to name a few. In 2015, she, alongside Artistic Associate Director Diogo Lopez, was honored with the National Theatre Conference's 2015 Outstanding Emerging Professional Award. Oh my goodness. Outstanding. Isabel studied at the London International School of Performing Arts, or LISPA for short, and received her BA in Theatre and Religious Studies from McAllister College, where she later returned to work, and that campus is where we had this conversation. Here, we cover a variety of topics, including roles she's bravely taking ownership of, how to sustainably create collaborative work while having fun, which includes fostering community. We talked about Question asking as activism, how she recharges, as well as life in marriage to a collaborator. Just a hint, you'll get a look at the original transatlantic love affair. As a heads up, some time has passed between this recording and it being posted when Isabel or I used the phrase, quote, a week ago, end quote. We're simply referring to the time before our country's recent election. Huge thanks to Isabel for her answers and the questions she presented to me going forward. I'm definitely going to follow the company's work, and you should too. If you have a chance, go, go, go see 105 Proof at the Illusion Theater tonight, Saturday, November 19th, or tomorrow, the 20th, at 8 and 7 p.m. respectively. Tomorrow's closing show allows you to name your price, so take advantage of that. You won't be disappointed. Also, be sure to get their next show on your calendar. A new work will be at the Guthrie Theatre Dowling Studio from January 27th through February 12th, 2017. For now, please enjoy a conversation I very much enjoyed. Here is Isabel Nelson. Hey, Isabel, thanks Had for you. coming on the show. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, it's nice to meet you. How, I'm, I'm wondering how you think of yourself. Do you view your role as a director, as a storyteller? When you uh, When you look back on the story of your life, how how do you see your role? In oh, it?
1: you don't start out with softballs,
0: do you? Nope. <laughs> We're jumping right in. We're okay. jumping right
1: in. <laughs> awesome. Um... Oh, goodness. Well, it's funny. I was actually just thinking earlier and speaking earlier today of someone about kind of what I consider my top, like, three identities to be as a human being.
0: Earlier today? Yeah,
1: earlier today. Then I'm you practice already. Oh, hardly. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was, that, I wasn't pointedly asked. It was just sort of a, something that came up. But um, I'm going to enter your question a little bit at a, at a different angle than maybe you intended but yeah however you want to tackle it I think certainly my identity as a woman plays very strongly into my art I do I I think kind of in general artist is an identity that I feel very strongly towards I'm increasingly although depending on the moment in time feeling identification with my role as a mother Uh, as a teacher as a social activist as a feminist Insofar as my art is concerned, I started out as a performer, or identifying as a performer. I now identify much more strongly as a director, and within and to me, being a director because I'm a divisor of work—all these ers, mother, all the all the ers of, of identification—because um, I'm a divisor and creator of work. Being a director also means to me that I am a writer, that I'm a um, editor, that I'm a that it's not just about interpreting a text so much as really building something from the ground up.
0: And you do exclusively original work, correct, with Transatlantic Love Absolutely. Affair? Absolutely,
1: yes. So all of the work that we do is original and devised by the ensemble, so we walk into the room on the first day of rehearsal with very little beyond an idea and and everything from there is generated in the room with the ensemble. All the text, all the movement, the entire world is is very much crowdsourced from that group in the room,
0: and is that idea or concept a philosophical sort of prompt, or is it uh, because your your work is largely based on movement? Mm-hmm. Is it an idea of shapes that could fill the piece? What what is that seed there? Gotcha.
1: So um, for me, it's typically. It's typically a, a sort of loreic or mythic foundation that we want to draw from. Hmm. Um, narrative is really important to me. And we have found it really helpful to come in with a sense of what, what the inspiration of the story will be. So um, the very first show we ever did, Ballad of the Pearl Fisherman, cued very closely to the folk, uh, the Selkie folk tale that's found in Ireland and Scotland and also in Iceland and, and kind of Scandinavia, those whole northern Atlantic um, regions. Our second play compl- really was inspired by Red Riding Hood. Um, wouldn't nec- someone wouldn't necessarily sit down and watch it and be like, I'm watching Red Riding Hood, but that provided sort of <laughs> the original kernel of inspiration uh, okay, for that. Okay. Oftentimes we will also come in not only with that, but with a sense of the soundscape, so some sort of musical inspiration, hmm. because we always have live music in our work. And oftentimes, as well, particularly in our first three productions, um, we also came in with a sense of landscape. Landscape. So what the um, what the physical yeah, what the physical world was if there was kind of an overriding topographical or. Um, What's the word I want. Yeah, like lands- landscape that really informs the piece. So for the first show, it, would, it was the ocean. For our second show, it was the forest. Hmm. For the third show, it was um, ended up being set in the Dust Bowl. So we started out thinking it was going to be the desert, but it ended up being the plains. So that's that's another piece that we often come in with as a source of inspiration.
0: Okay. And I, you mentioned the, the Ballot of the Pale Fisherman. Yes. Taking a look at that first show, which mm-hmm. was... 2010, correct?
1: We premiered it at the Fringe Festival in 2010, and then we expanded it at the Illusion Theater in
0: 2012. It's a cool
1: theater. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's great for us.
0: How long before that had you started the company?
1: We had... we. We hadn't. <laughs> um, the company, as it as it is, wasn't really formalized until after Ballad of the Pale Fisherman. Really? Um, yeah. We with Ballad, I had had the idea. The idea was actually um, had been my final project at LISPA, like which is the London International School for Performing Arts, where I trained in Lecoq-based pedagogy and physical theater and devising. And so I came in with that idea and pulled together a group of people that. I either knew to have some sort of devising background or strong physical sensibility that they could bring to the work or a particular skill that would kind of flesh out the whole. And part of the decision then to move forward with that group and then eventually become a company is not only the response of the audience, which was really wonderful and gratifying, particularly because we were like, people might think, this is crazy. Like, we don't know if they're going to go on this journey with us. And so the fact that they did was like really affirming. Um, but but beyond that, the the group of people itself just worked so beautifully together. It really kind of felt like lightning in the bottle to have these folks that wow. were so, it was just so much fun to create with them. And devising can be so hard that, that having this group that really was willing to take this leap together and do it with great joy and dedication felt like something worth holding on to. And so the company actually grew out of that.
0: And how many of those original members are still present in the company?
1: Um, So right now the company has six core ensemble members. All but one of those individuals were in the original production of Ballad with Pale Fisherman. Hmm. Heather Bunch joined ballad a second go round. So she's been with us since 2011 with Red Resurrected at the Fringe. Wow. And then the only other two three individuals that were that are no longer part of the core ensemble, two of them moved to New York and then one of them just chose to do less theater and kind of move away from that. Okay. But, yeah. And as, she's as actually life continued goes. to work with us from time to time as able.
0: In in what capacity as an actor? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I'm, I'm considering how to formulate my next question you said that it it was lightning in a bottle just because it was so fun devising work with these people and Mm -hmm. having continued to work with them over a number of years have you how have you kept it fun
1: um it's it's i mean it's funny it's not something thankfully it's not something that i feel like i've had to put a lot of effort in into Hopefully that continues to be the case. I think part of it comes out of the fact that this group of people, and we've brought in new folks depending on the show for pretty much every show since 2012. They just really enjoy being together, Hmm. and that's great, and there's a great sense of playfulness between them, and there's just naturally space in the rehearsal room. This isn't something I've been intentional about, but there has always been space in the rehearsal room for like, laughter and maybe taking a minor detour to do something ridiculous uh, <laughs> that's never actually going to make it into the show but there's a space to, to try
0: that keeps it fresh um,
1: and, and also an, an awareness that was brought to me just recently is because uh, I don't think that this is unique to devising processes but it was a reminder to me that it is unique often amongst kind of more conventional traditional theater processes wonderful Woman and performer uh, Joy Dolo, who who worked with us on Emily Eurydice, we all kind of got back in the room a year later to rework a segment segment of it for performance of the Ivies. and the server rehearsal processes. We always do. We like we you know everyone had been saying hi and hanging out and we'd played a game. Because we always do, and um, and she was like, "Oh my god! Like I've missed this. I've missed all coming together and playing a game at the beginning of rehearsal." And I was like, "And she's been she works a lot." And so I had a moment where I was like, "What do you mean you've missed this? Like you've been doing all this theater work?" And I was like, "Oh, but that's not normal. <laughs>
2: right, <laughs> like right. that's not
1: considered. That, like oftentimes actors are expected, I think, to kind of do whatever warm up they want to do for themselves, and then so they show up in the room ready to work, and the work starts." Right away, and there's mm. not necessarily a moment to come together and and check in and then play yeah. before the work begins.
0: Yeah, what what else could you put in that category of f- uh, fostering your community? You mm. said checking in with each other, playing games. Mm-hmm. Would you Would you put anything else over there?
1: I mean, I, I think that the the nature of creating work collaboratively and devising work when it's done right as an exercise in community because you're actively. Soliciting everybody's ideas and input, and asking them to put themselves in the world and create the world from themselves. And so, if that's done in a space that's that's supportive and safe and exciting and engaging for everybody, then that's community at work. So I don't I, I don't know that. If it's done right, it's in the water. It's, it doesn't have to be like these three boxes you check and then you go and you make the play, that the making of the work itself hmm. is an exercise in community.
0: Hmm. And taking the idea of community mm-hmm. in a slightly different direction now, you had mentioned at the start of the conversation you are a an activist and a, mm-hmm. and a feminist.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: In In what ways are you contributing towards building stronger communities in that regard
1: Mm -hmm. Um, you mean within my art
0: however however you want to answer that question
1: Um, so the way in which I find myself doing it most consistently is in my art part of that has to do with availability of resources and so far as time You know, I do have a full time day job. I have two kids. I run a theater company. (laughs) Sometimes I work with other companies that are not my theater company. So there's, um, so I find both because of resources and also because I believe in the fundamental power of art to be a social force and the importance of that and the importance of storytelling in shaping our communities and our world. That's where I choose to focus the the majority of my energies and I think that it's interesting but in some ways it's this particular moment in time that inspires me to say out loud like yes an identity is social activist I think I've been shy to say that in the past I think our very 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 recent election results have been kind of a a call to action to me to actually state that identity in the world and and own it a little bit more loudly. That said, one of the strengths of the work that transatlantic does, I think is that the way in which we are political is that we tell deeply human stories. I think that if you are being, if you are being honest and truthful about, there is, there's no way to tell a deeply human story that is not political. Uh, the way in which my feminism comes through is that I often center on women's stories, though they're not, and and, that this, and the stories that I build usually are coming from, um, are asking questions even if they're subtle questions about women's roles or expectations of women or um, the assumptions that we make about what's What's acceptable? What's um, what's allowed? Mm. Um, and and I think increasingly too, we've been taking be really intentionally working to diversify the range of identities represented in our performing ensembles. Cool. Um, and I think that's important not only because of the idea of a broader range of people being able to see themselves on stage, but also I'm a really really adamant believer in the in the, the potential of devised theater in particular uh, to really, if you've got a diverse group of voices making the work, how much more relevant, universal, truthful can the work be? And so it's, I think that there's, there's a number of sides to that. And those are some of the ways in which I see my, my identities as feminist and social activist playing out yeah. artistic
0: Yeah, I really like what you said about devising with a a diverse group Mm -hmm. um, and achieving maybe a more balanced center point, Mm -hmm. you know, if we're all coming from different angles Mm -hmm. versus a group of people on one side coming from their slightly different angles. It'll be different places that you reach. And to connect an idea to this, reading over your biography, I saw mm. you attended Macalester College, where That's you good. also now work, mm-hmm. for not only theater, but also religious studies. That's true. I'm wondering where those worlds meet, and in relation to this, to this idea we're on, mm-hmm. what you think unites people. You know, when, when you do bring a, a group of people with magnitudes of differences mm-hmm. if you know if just superficial differences mm-hmm. uh, in in your opinion what is it that is uh, the common underlying factor and how do you get to seeing that yeah that's a very long-winded <laughs> question
1: <laughs> well I'll answer the first one which is kind of the commonalities or, or the place the place that religious days in theater yeah. intersects sex yeah. and for me it's it's asking big questions and and investigating what it means to be human what it means to believe in something and yeah they, it, there's there's strong storytelling elements to both hmm. um and and at, at their strongest and most potent they both tell stories that are deeply relevant and and universal um in some ways so that's the intersection for me, although I always knew I'd be a theater major and was shocked to find myself a religious <laughs> studies major, but that's how it, that's how it happened. Just sure. show um, and, and kind of retrospectively, I'm like, oh, it kind of makes sense. Um, but And then it's, it's harder for me to answer the second question. Again, maybe because of this moment in time when, when the divisions feel so etched on, you know, a week ago. And it would have been easier to give kind of a sweeping answer about, like, the innate nature of humanity and the things that tie us all together. And I still think that's true. I still think that the thing that we all have in common is that we're human. <laughs> <laughs> um, with all the beautiful potential and harrowing flaw that that encompasses. Hmm. And so... That's all I know to try to express is is humanity and how how complex that is, Mm. the light and the dark.
0: Mm. That being said, I've been considering lately, given uh, the election results Mm -hmm. and the unrest Mm -hmm. that is today, Mm -hmm. how fortunate the situation is in, in certain ways. Mm. because were the next 20 years to be just like the, p- the past 20 years. I've, I think a lot of the problems that we're experiencing would just be prolonged. Mm. However, faced directly
2: mm.
0: with these problems, it gives us a, a really special opportunity to ask the big questions... And I'm also putting some thought towards how to do that. And the same as you said, my you know my thinking was different a week ago. Mm-hmm. To uh, some unknown territory going forward, mm-hmm. it's it's hard to navigate. Yeah. Uh, well, um. In in life, when you're going through these sorts of places. Or within your personal life uh, difficult times Mm -hmm. what do you connect to like maybe a religious story these stories of deep humanity Mm -hmm. that you talked about are are there any um, stories or lessons from earlier on in your life that you keep coming back to getting you through hard times
1: it's a good question I don't know if I have an answer I don't know that there's a story that I return to after all I said about the importance of storytelling you're like, "Ah, oh, I know if there's a story." <laughs> I mean, yeah, the
2: the
1: I mean, it depends on the nature of the dark times. In in times like this moment, taking a a, a lot of strength in the commitment of my community to do to do better and to engage um, and and hold each other up and protect each other. Protection, Um, yeah. In more personal difficult times, um, just finding ways to refill the well, which for me includes time in nature. It includes moving, like physically being active, running, moving, just being active is really... Hmm. Yoga, I mean, just the ways I can keep my body alive and centered, does wonders for my mind, singing. Singing. Mm-hmm. I don't do enough of it actually. It's one that I forget too easily. Yeah. Uh, my mother loves music, and there's I've l- grew up in a house full of music. And last night I got, or yesterday afternoon I got a Facebook invite from her and for an event called singing at, <laughs> in, at seven o'clock. She was like, everyone should just come over and we'll sing together. Just over and to I the was house. like, that's my mom. Ah. You know, that's and it's. I identify with that.
0: Yeah. Are, are both of your parents artistic?
1: Um, yeah. My my mom teaches music. She's a teaching artist um, and has, has been like a collar of square dances my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then my father was a pastor for many years, uh, left the church and went to Lisba and now is a performing artist.
0: Really? Mm-hmm. Was that your connection to the school in london
1: no he came after me <laughs> <I> was <his laughs> it was his connection, connection.
0: School, yeah. <laughs> wow yeah wow, wow. how did how did you end up over there
1: um i was really inspired in high school uh, by Jun loon um the work they were doing hmm. like so many of my peers um <laughs> for and good reason yeah good yeah reason. absolutely well through high school and college and then you know graduated from from college and was in the twin cities for a bit kind of auditioning for shows and um, also was deeply inspired actually by John Ferguson's collaboration with live action set at the 2005 Fringe? Please don't blow up Mr. Boban. And so just was in a place where I was like, I want to be in, I want to be in those shows. And, so, and my thinking at the time was, oh, I'm going to like, I will qualify myself to be in their, those shows. I will go and I will train in physical theater and then I will get cast in other people's productions and it's going to be great. And, and which is, which is true. I've, I've worked now with John and, and for Humors and all these folks that I was really excited about. But what I couldn't have anticipated was this training was much less about like, we will give you tools as an actor and much more about what do you want to say in the world with your art? Here's a bunch of tools. Like, how do you see the world around you? How do you translate that on stage? How do you tell a story? These questions that were much larger, more challenging and cost me to, to dig much deeper than I anticipated. Wow. And so I kind of accidentally ended up in the best program i think i could have
0: yeah and you met your oh, husband and your collaborator diogo over there right yes wow yeah.
1: so we were in the same class
0: and how um how has that all unfolded i spoke to lisa channer yeah. over at the, the university of minnesota and peter uh-huh. novi most last week yep. and she too married a collaborator yes she did um we talked about the intersection of Theater, theater and religion, but where uh-huh. do where do art and love intersect? Oh,
1: boy. Oh, it's an on- we're still figuring that out. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, the it, it helps to, there were, actually, there's a number of our classmates that also married each other. Um, I think there's something <laughs> about having a very um, challenging and quite profound experience at a place like LISPa And when you have that shared experience, and sometimes it's not surprising that that becomes a foundation for for something else or something additional hmm. and it, and certainly it's it's we're continuing to figure out how best to where our personal relationship complements and bolsters our professional relationship and where it is necessarily separate i think it's helpful too that You know, we went to school for devising. We went to school for how do you stand with a group of other artists, all of whom have really strong ideas about how how they want to tell a story or put something into the world, and many of those ideas will not align or some of them will be in direct opposition and how do you negotiate that space Um, and I remember telling my mom about it like in the first year being like oh mom it's so hard like we were randomly assigned these groups and given this assignment we have to build this thing and everyone's arguing over like you know like I want to do it this way and they want to do it this way and you have to figure out like what things you fight for and what things you let go and what things you can meet in the middle on and my mom was listening to me say all this and she was like oh so you're Uh, learning to be married (laughs) I was like oh god it's like that's what marriage is it's funny how that turned yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and like Diogo and I weren't together at the time but like but now I kind of think back to that <laughs> to that conversation with my mom and there are parallels there strong parallels hmm. to creating art in a collaborative way and creating a life together in a collaborative way
0: and how do you maintain a healthy life with your partner because uh, I mean especially in this day and age it seems like not a lot of people are really able to s- sustain that. I mean, mm. some, some definitely are, but if you look at divorce rates and mm. whatnot, it's definitely grown in recent years. What do you put first in your, in your personal relationship there?
1: It's, it, put first is hard because, I mean, there's love, obviously, and respect and these things, but communication, I think, is really, really, really critical. Mm. And, and that, I think, has been a marker for Diogo and I of like when we're doing well, it's because we're communicating well. Hmm. And when we're having a more difficult time, it's because we're not. Which isn't to say that communicating well means that you're on the same page or you're both in the same place. Not necess- That's not necessarily true. But if you feel like you can share where you're at and you can receive where your partner is and you can be together even in a moment of difference or even in a moment of difficulty, that's a strength that is essential hmm. to, to keeping everything going.
0: And is that the safe space or the protection that we had discussed earlier in, in, in any ways?
1: Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I think that...
0: Being able to communicate openly? Yeah,
1: absolutely, hmm. absolutely.
0: Well, I know we're coming up on the end of your time. To, to shift gears, yeah. do you have uh, any sort of meditation practices? These are kind of mm-hmm. rapid-fire questions, and you can sure. take however long you want to answer. But
1: uh. um, Yoga and time and nature I, are the, the closest that I get. Um, and I think that there's something, too, about it's not, it's not as intentional as I think a meditation practice ideally is, but I have a, a, an infant son at the moment, and there's something about babies and how just immediately in the moment they are and how present in the moment that they are hmm. that's um, really particularly these days <laughs> is, is really grounding for me and, and helps to keep me in the in the moment in a way that I'm, I'm finding myself very grateful for
0: yeah okay and how about most gifted books or if you don't give a lot of books favorite books
1: oh favorite books I like that question Oh, Bel Canto by Anne Patchett is one of my favorites. Anna Karenina by Leo Tolstoy is another one of my favorites. Yeah. There's a book that I've had since I was like 10 called The Book of Qualities by J. Ruth Gendler, which, um, which I've always loved, which basically takes qualities and describes them in like two to three paragraphs, or one to three paragraphs as to other people. Um, so like, for example, I think the first one I ever heard was like, Courage, sleeps on a futon on the floor and knows first aid. (laughs) Her cousin is anxiety. She knits quilts and sells honey at the farmer's market. I mean, these sorts of things where it's like what are their routines? What are their loves? Who are they related to? Um, And I just, I've always found that really beautiful. But
0: it's I mean, vivid, for it's uh, defined in characters. Yeah. That's a really yeah. interesting approach. It is. I like that. I know, yeah, I'm too. Gonna, I'm going to have to find a copy of that. Yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. I can lend you mine if you I, like. You I just would have to give it, it Yeah,
0: no, definitely. Yeah, if you've had it that long, I wouldn't yeah. I wouldn't even dream about taking yeah. it. Oh, yeah, but that's that's generous. Yeah, I would we actually,
1: Diogo and I chose our favorites, or the ones that we felt were... Most descriptive of each other, and read them as part of our <laughs> wedding.
0: Wow! Oh, beautiful!
1: Um, yeah. So yeah, I love those ones. "Wind in the Willows" is one of my all-time favorites. M- there's a particular passage about home that I just always find so beautiful. We actually used it in Emily Eurydice. You always feel like you forget some of the really good ones when you're when you're not expecting the question. Yeah, but those those are all ones that. And
0: I that's love. a good few right there. Yeah. Um <laughs> th- <laughs> who else in the community do you think is doing good work? And I was just laughing because whenever I ask that question, people are afraid that they're going to forget yeah, some what you had no, just said about the books. Absolutely. Um but un- understanding that, whoever comes first to mind. Right. Who absolutely. who do you who do you like in the community?
1: Um I mean I think Michelle Hensley and the work that she does with 10,000 things is just so inspiring in so many ways. Yeah. Um I I really admire um how it's a it's a mission-driven arts organization hmm. and with incredibly high quality art hmm. and artists. So she's she's been my she, 10,000 things and Michelle have been kind of my number one for a long time. Certainly certainly since um June Moon sort of went away, and it's in that manifestation. And I, there's just, we just have so many wonderful peers that all are doing, and, and I love that there's so much devised theater work in this town, but it's all, it all feels so complimentary. Yeah. Like, Live Action Set does something so different from Four Humors, does something so different from Sandbox, does something so different from what we do. And so it's always so exciting and affirming to see the stories that they're all telling and, and the ways they're putting it in the space, which is so different from the stories that, that we tell or the ways we put things in the space. So, yeah, it's one of those things where I don't really want to start listing because then I really will start putting <laughs> <laughs> you know, but like um but But also, I've also been really excited by the work I've seen from Walking Shadow and how well that they do mm. text-based work. Mm. And it's exciting to see the changes happening at the Guthrie now, too.
0: Yeah, true, so. very true. Where can people find you? You've got your theater's website. Yep, are you on absolutely. social media? Yep,
1: we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, and we're on Twitter. Um, we are best of those at updating the Facebook page. Okay. Um, though we're, we're, we're getting better with Facebook and Instagram, for sure. Yeah, and because we're a transient theater company, obviously we don't have, like, a brick-and-mortar home. Checking our website for what's coming up next is typically the best mm-hmm. way to figure out... Where we're gonna be? And
0: didn't you just open a show?
1: We did, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So one yeah. of five proof for the killing of Mac the silencer Klein is at the illusion and runs through November twentieth. Um, so that will be the next two weekends, and then we kick right into development and rehearsals for our show at the Darling Studio. Awesome. Um, at the end of January.
0: Cool. All right, so I can link all of that up in the show notes. Yeah. Isabel, thanks for coming on the show. Oh my
1: God, my pleasure. Thanks it was a blast. Yeah,
0: we'll have to <laughs> we'll have to do a part two sometime. Bring it on. Thanks for taking the time. <laughs> Take care. Hey, all you lovely little gnomes. That's a wrap. That was Isabel Nelson. Make sure to show her and her company some support. Go to transatlanticloveaffair.org. Find them on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Buy some tickets to an upcoming show. There's some really cool things going on over there, and you really need to check it out. That being said, also find Chance by Chance on iTunes and Patreon. Show me some love and support. Share this with someone you know, that's the most important thing. Just want to keep getting these messages out. Alright, for your listening pleasure as you go, here's an oldie but a goodie. Seems appropriate given the conversation I had today. This is a song called Transatlantic Flirtation by Peter Campanelli and yours truly. Thank you for listening. Take
2: your chance before you waste circumstance. These lives are intertwined I wonder what you have in mind It's better to relate than to a If you can see past the broken ties My wandering mind is compromised I'm enthralled to believe believe it won't be long Until we've mollified And mounting strife is set aside Are we all duly free in terms of greed?